every day I wake up and I've got new messages from some printer that I've never met before. And they're asking me, of, mm-hmm. hey, this thing's going wrong with my work in my shop. Do you have any advice? And fuck yes, I've got advice. Thank <laughs> you for reaching out. I'm so glad you found me. And welcome to the 22nd episode of Pine Copper Lime, the internet's number one printmaking podcast. I'm your host, Miranda Metcalf. I release an episode every two weeks, and on the off weeks, I publish an article on the Pine Copper Lime website, which features images and maybe a bit more information about the artist I'm going to interview. Things are humming along happily here at PCL headquarters in Printtown, Australia. Just a couple of quick housekeeping notes. First, thank you everyone who participated in our latest giveaway on Instagram. And thank you again to Mesh Art Gallery of Chicago for their sponsorship. For those of you who may have missed out, be sure you're following PCL on the ground. I do a giveaway about every month or so, and it can be anything from a stunning print, to editioning paper, to a gift certificate for tools. It's all good, clean American fun. Brought to you from Australia. So... Be sure to be following us there, and of course there's a link in the show notes to that. Also, a quick but zealous thank you to all our Patreon supporters this month. Every time I get a notification that another person has joined that crew, I can't even believe it. You are incredible for saying, hey, I like that PCL exists, and I like to support things that I like. It makes my heart grow three sizes too large and keeps my chin up when I'm spending my Saturdays slaving over a hot iPad. You are keeping this community going, printmaking forever, shun the non-believers, join the party. And speaking of community and shunning those non-believers, I am super excited to share with you my guest this week, Gregory Santos. But you may know him as at NYCGPS or at Mixgrid. Gregory is one of the most active and effective voices in our printmaking digital community. His two Instagram accounts are fountains of transparency and decentralization of knowledge. He is open and interactive about the trials and tribulations of his lithography practice and is always there to offer help and humor to those in need. This episode is a little bit like a love song to the community and connection in printmaking. So sit back, relax, and prepare to feel the love with Gregory Santos. Hi, Gregory. How's it going? It's going really well, Miranda. How are you doing today? I'm really good. Thank you for joining me. I know you're a busy man. Uh, well, I ended up with some free time today that I wasn't expecting to have. I was supposed to help a friend, another printer in town, dismantle her one of one of her many. She owns a few presses. I was going to help her dismantle one of her presses and move it from one studio to another. And... I don't know. She just never called me today. So I ended up (laughs) magically not having to do some hard manual labor and dismantling a press. So my Saturday is just fantastic right now. That's wonderful. I feel like that's such a printmaker community moment. You know, when somebody calls you up and says, do you want to do this really complex and uncomfortable thing all day with me? And the other person is like, yeah, I will. (laughs) 
<laughs> it's like I, moving I, I love moving presses. You say you, you all that often. <laughs> but like everything in life, like I enjoy it because every time I do it, it gets easier and easier. Hmm. And you just learn like, okay, we only need to disassemble these 12 bolts and then we'll do it in this order. And it just gets faster and faster. But I also believe in karma. And I have helped enough people <laughs> move heavy shit on the weekend uh-huh. that when the day comes <laughs> that I need to move my press, I have plenty of people to call in that favorite too. I so. love it. I love it. For those of our listeners who don't know who you are besides a good Samaritan press helper, would you just give yourself a brief little introduction for us and answer the who you are, where you are, what you do questions? I am currently in Denver. This is not my natural home. I'm from New York, but I moved out to Denver about, I don't know, five years ago and just kind of stayed didn't really travel anywhere else, but um, I am just a, a printmaker by trade. I've done nothing else with my life since uh, BFA in printmaking from Syracuse University. I kind of got hooked and never, never turned back, never looked any other direction. I've done some similarly related gigs as a, a book conservator, a book binder, some letterpress printing, some fine art framing. But I've never really moved too far from mm. the printmaking world. I'm very fortunate to have be able to say that. I know the struggle is real for many people. And yeah. I've just plugged along and had a good support system and right place, right time, right community uh, printmaker and a lithographer here in here in Denver trying to make it all work. That's huge. That like the that combination of the right place right time and right community is that really is the kind of magic formula to get to be in the arts in the way that you want to be in the arts. So you said that you you got your BFA from Syracuse in printmaking, but what was your art life like before that? Like what role did art play in your life when you were a kid and growing up? It's been part of my life since I was a child. You know, when you read those artist bios and they say, I've been painting since I was six, and it kind of leads them on a trajectory they never sway from. I was one of those types of children, was a household surrounded with art and creativity. And, you know, my father's painting and airbrushing studio, he actually had two studios in the house. He had a a painting and drawing studio on the first floor of the house, but then his air compressor and all of the, the dirty loud work he would do in the basement. Um, mm-hmm. So I'd go, I'd go down in the basement, and my my brother and I would be playing Nintendo while my dad's ten feet away, yeah. working on these really fantastic airbrush paintings. It's just been my my life, you know. My parents taught me how to draw in perspective. Um, I think like two point perspective. My first two point perspective lesson, I must have been in. I don't know, like first grade. Mm, mm -hmm. Um, So they would come home and as they would be working on uh, a syllabus for the class or working on project planning for, you know, next week's assignment, they would just teach me as well because I'd just Mm. be sitting there with nothing to do. Yeah. Um, And then would you say that it was maybe that kind of early introduction to drawing that really affected your art in a way that led you to lithography? I didn't know anything of lithography. I didn't know lithography existed as an art form until I was a freshman in college. Mm -hmm. I don't think, 
I, I don't think I knew printmaking existed. I just didn't, we didn't have it in my high school. My parents didn't teach it. You know, they were teaching figure drawing, mechanical drawing, um, screen print. Uh, no. Okay. So they, my dad was a screen printer, but I didn't know that at the time. Like I, I was too young as a kid to understand what he was doing. So somewhere in my mother's basement, we actually still have these 40, 50 year old wooden screens um, that we just saved for nostalgia, but I never recognized them, didn't know what they were. Mm. My parents' influence and you know that household growing up, it didn't affect my love of printmaking because I didn't know it existed. Right, yeah. But they taught me to draw and they encouraged me to draw. And even if it was taking turns playing Nintendo with my brother, they encouraged me to draw the characters from these games mm. and don't just sit and watch him play still, you know, be creative in that way. And by the time I got to Syracuse, I just really loved to draw, but I didn't know that there was an art form out there that lets you reproduce drawing in a mechanical way. And I thought I was going to be an illustrator. I really thought that's where I was going to go. You know, there was some friends of mine who went to college a year or two before I did and they went into illustration, so I just saw how they were progressing, how they were growing, the kinds of really wickedly rad things that they were making as freshmen and sophomore in college, and I was just going to follow them. I was just going to copy what they were doing, and I thought that's, that's what it was. And then, of course, I got rejected from Iowa School of Design, which is where all of my friends were, so that changed mm. that path of life, right. and I, I ended up at Syracuse. And what Syracuse did at the time, and I don't know if they still do this, I would need to reach out to Holly Greenberg or Dusty, who are faculty, and see if they still do this, but at the time, and we're talking in 1999, at some point your freshman year, you spent an entire Saturday touring different departments within the School of the Arts, the Visual Performing Arts at Syracuse University. And you had this, like a, a check-in, sign-up sheet list, piece of paper you were bringing. And you needed to visit, if I remember, it was five different disciplines, five different departments who were all doing open houses on this one day. And you needed to talk to the graduate students, meet the professors, and you had to get a signature from either the professors or a graduate student to prove that you actually went. Hmm. And all of this was this like major crash course in different disciplines that you could decide to get a major in you know it was it was major specific there was no interdisciplinary degree at Syracuse at the time I don't know if there is now and you know I went to the illustration department first I thought that's where my life was headed and I saw the work that they were doing and I instantly had a come to Jesus moment with myself and realized I am not good enough to be an illustrator <laughs> I knew I did not have the the chops to do that. So you, know, you were seeing these these young artists, these really skilled artists. You know, if a, if the project called for them to draw an anthropomorphized frog on a bicycle wearing a top hat riding through the park, they could just whip that out. Mm -hmm. It's like a quick mm -hmm. little doodle. Like they had just insane natural skills as draftsmen and creators. And when I saw that that was what the skill was needed, 
at the time, and this was all way, you know, pre-digital, there was no Adobe. I think the, the digital lab might have had like Adobe 2. <laughs> you know, it, it didn't exist. So it was all still hand-drawn. So I, I realized very quickly I couldn't be an illustrator. So then I went, you know, went to ceramics, went to the metalsmith department, went to painting, and I don't enjoy painting, so that's not my cup of tea. Mm-hmm. And then I went into the printmaking studio. And I saw a graduate student printing from a stone onto a, um, like a, I guess I'll say recycled, a recycled wedding dress that she got at a thrift store. Mm-hmm. And hindsight 2020, like I would, wow, I'd never try to do that because I'd be afraid I'd ruin something with that kind of uneven pressure. Um, <laughs> but, you know, the chances you can take when you're in school and you don't own the equipment and the stones aren't yours, yeah, that's definitely the time to try to run a <laughs> wedding dress through a stone press and but I saw her doing that and my head exploded it really I had never seen anything like this I didn't know it existed and I saw what she was printing it was just a drawing you know it's just a a drawing it was a self-portrait there was some other things going on there and I asked her, I was like, so your art, you can just continue to draw, but then you make more copies of it? And she's like, yeah, she's, yeah, that's exactly it. I was like, all right, I'm hooked. And from that day on, I was just hooked as a printer. It was seeing a stone litho demo that got me hooked into printmaking. What a lot of people know you for now um, is, is lithography, but... Also specifically, I think how transparent and interactive you are, particularly on Instagram, for the joy and the pain of Litho, you know, where you will you will mm-hmm. show all of these different things and you're really open about particularly those hard moments when it's like, this didn't work and I don't even know why. Yeah, so you're um so we you and I talked a little bit yesterday and you mm-hmm. know how hard of a day was and I I fucking knew it. I knew you were going to bring this up <laughs> and remind me of the pain I was going through yesterday. I knew it. it just cuts to the quick, Miranda. Um <laughs> Yeah, we so did I, deep I, here I on think Pine it's Copper one Lime. of yeah. <laughs> let's do it. Let's do a printmaking therapy session. <laughs> it was one of those days yesterday that, and it's not yesterday. I've been having undescribable problems in printing one stone for mixed grit for two and a half weeks now, mm. and I, I can't explain why it's happening. And we always make these jokes, right? All printmakers make the jokes about, oh, you angered the print gods. Mm-hmm. You didn't make a sacrifice to the print gods. <laughs> right. Or, oh, print print gods are shining smiley on someone else today, not you. I'm like, <laughs> all right, that's great. But for two and a half fucking weeks, like, yeah. sh- show me some love. <laughs> and so I've been, I've, been, I've been struggling. And what I like to use the Instagram mixed grit account for is to find find ways to break that down and like you said be transparent with it because these problems and these issues and the the difficulties of being an artist they never go away no matter how much practice you have Hmm. no matter how many years or decades you've been doing something every once in a while some artistic soul out there just decides to be a ghost in your studio and you know, make things go wrong. And you have to just have the right skills, the right training, the right mindset, the right practice to know how to hopefully course correct that. And 
I feel like those are the things that gets missing from the whole social media uh, bizarre land of the internet. It's so focused on success and nothing but success and beauty. And this is what's hot and this is what's fresh. And look at me. This is awesome. Look at this. This is fantastic. And there's such a great opportunity to really pull back the veil and do a behind the scenes like, yo, like, yeah, the end results is fantastic. But I went through some shit to get there. <laughs> and I, I, I learned some lessons and maybe you can learn some lessons from this, too. And it's been really nice to try to figure out how to tell these stories in you know 200 characters or however much Instagram gives you. It's, you know, it's nice to try to be transparent and allow a discussion to take place. Because um, there's so many people who are interested in lithography, but have only had a crash course and they don't have access to practice it, or they right. do, but they don't have the same materials. And what I find most enjoyable is when I'm transparent with some of the technical issues that arise. And then as I'm explaining them, someone will jump in in the comment section and say, oh, do this, this, and that, and that'll fix that problem. And I'll have to respond like, that's a great idea, but I don't have that yeah. ink, so I can't do that. Or I can't do it because of this other reason that exists for my shop and what I have access to. And... Hopefully someone else who's reading that, a third person might read that little discourse and see, oh, I've never thought of that. Oh, wait, what did he say as a response? I never thought of that either. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden someone's getting these like free, free little lessons. It's a part of the kind of decentralization of knowledge that happens with the internet in this in fabulous way where, you know, you talked about not knowing that printmaking existed, you know, before you went to your undergrad. I think that now, you know, the 18-year-olds, the 16-year-olds of the world, you know, they don't necessarily have to go to a fine arts department at Syracuse to learn about what lithography is. You know, they can, if they have access to the internet, they can find something about it and they can find this discourse that's going on and watching people who have been printing for years, like yourself, being really open about what they go through and seeing that dialogue. And I just think that's just such a spectacular step forward in helping the accessibility in the medium. It's one of the joys of the internet that way. I used to be so frustrated and down on myself when year after year after year, life just gets in the way. But it seems like it always gets in the way right around spring, right when the Southern Graphics Conference is happening. And year after year, I couldn't go. I used to get so frustrated that I couldn't attend these conferences because that's how you interacted with the community. Just locally, regionally, nationally, internationally, mm -hmm. it all came together at that conference. And when you can't attend, it's very easy to get frustrated and feel like you're missing out on every connection you need to be making. And now, if I can't attend, 
oh, great, Poppy Copper Lime are going to be going to Puerto Rico for the next conference and mm-hmm. I can't attend? Fantastic. She's going to be live streaming that thing and I'll, it'll be like I'm there. Mm-hmm. And that kind of interactive element of the internet, and but especially for Instagram, it's just the visual medium of Instagram has been so wonderful as a way to share information and gain information and trade secrets and stories and like every day I wake up and I've got new messages from some printer I've never known that I've never met before and they're asking me a question of Mm -hmm. hey this thing's going wrong with my work in my shop do you have any advice and fuck yes I've got advice thank (laughs) you for reaching out I'm so glad you found me because if you're reaching out to some stranger on another continent that means there's probably no one else in your immediate community that you felt you were able to go to for information and help and aid. And now there's this interactive global network and I I love it. I love it. I do too. I love it so much. And yeah, and I just like, I like I've sort of touched on before, but I do really appreciate that. I feel like in the spaces that you've created on Instagram, that particular element of dialogue and showing what's not worked and being transparent about that is so present and wonderful because there are people who have their Instagram feeds and there's nothing wrong with doing it this way where it's just like, here's everything spectacular that I did. (laughs) And, and, you know, here's my studio completely cleaned up, you know, (laughs) all that kind of thing. Uh Yeah. And so, yeah. Well, I I knew you were going to break it back to that. I thought I had successfully rambled enough and dodged the whole question about what was going wrong and the issues. And of course, you bring it right back. Um, I'm a, I'm a well, what's, what's nice? <laughs> I know. Well, what's nice about this one is so for mixed grit, none of the artwork is mine, right? Mm-hmm. I'm printing for other other people. So I'm not trying to promote myself. And I'm not mm-hmm. trying to promote my own product, my own artwork. I'm, I'm doing this as, as a print trade. I'm doing it for other artists. And I feel like that allows me the freedom to be open and honest and transparent and interactive with all of the things wrong on the technical side. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I have to I have to figure out how to eventually tell a little bit of the story of what's been going wrong in these past two weeks so that on Instagram people can ask those questions and have those challenges. But right right now I just, I I printed the edition yesterday. I think I got it. I'll reevaluate everything on Monday. And then, then I can think about how to tell the, the horror story (laughs) that was this, this printing endeavor that just, you know, you try everything. Like if things were going wrong enough that I was like, all right, well, you know what? I'm just going to rotate the stone 90 degrees and maybe that fixes it. And right. nope, didn't, I'm going to rotate the stone another 90 degrees and maybe that'll fix it. At some point yesterday when things were really hitting the fan, I was like, you know what? I'm going to change the playlist <laughs> that I'm listening to and see if that fixes it. Like this is how desperate I was <laughs> to get over the hump and uh, it's it's still too close you know it's a little too painful I can't okay. really go okay. into detail right now right. I won't um, pressure you I won't pressure you but I think yeah I think this is like a great opportunity to talk about specifically 
mixed grit and how I think that you've fostered this great open um, and community-based digital world through your Instagram account, which just, was it just last year that you then um, kind of used it as a bit of a springboard to start a whole new project that's really quite unique. I've never heard anyone uh, taking this on the way you have. So I'd please um, tell us a little bit about what Mixed Grit is and, and how it came to be. So Mixed Grit, um, all, all it is in the end, to, to, to really simplify it, it's just a, a print trade. It is nothing more than a print trade, something many of us have all, all dealt with for years. You, know, you make an edition of 15, you mail them off to somebody, someone organizes and collates the sets, you get your set in the mail, and boom, print trade done. Um, in the end, it's nothing more than that. What's different is every every round, um, I'm selecting four artists from the United States, and each image is an edition of five. So it's a very small, intimate group mm-hmm. for a print for a print trade, and the part that has everyone calling me crazy. And I'm trying not to take offense to that, but I understand why people call me crazy, is that I'm mailing small lithographic stones through the postal service (laughs) to these artists around the country. Um, And it's surprisingly simple how the idea happened. Mm -hmm. And from the the time I was in discussion uh, with someone talking about you know, how to do more collaborative work, how to do more stone collaborative work, um, to the actual mailing of four stones, seven days transpired. <laughs> I had a conversation with somebody. And then on a, on a Friday, I was having coffee with another printer in town. And what we were talking about was, you know, Denver is this wonderful hub and layover for so many people the amount of printmakers and artists who just aren't even printers but artists who come to denver they have friends they have family they're doing a road trip through the south or the west and they just come to denver so many people are coming here and they'll send me a text they're like hey i'm in town for three hours before i hit the road can i visit you at art gym i'm like yeah come on by come see the print studio And I was trying to figure out how do I get all of these artists who are stopping into the print studio for like an hour, how could I get them to draw on the stone and do these like drop-in stone lithograph collaborative images? And we were trying to figure out how to make that happen. And then in the end, we realized like, well, the artists don't have to come to Denver. Why don't you mail the original idea was going to mail people plates, right? Obviously a plate is right. Yeah. It's flat. You can pack it. And then I thought, yeah, but that's no fun. There's no, (laughs) there's no excitement to mailing an aluminum plate to somebody or mailing someone some transparent film and paint markers and say, I'll draw on this. I'll shoot a photo plate. Like there's no, there's no appeal appeal to that yeah right there's there's no drama there's there's nothing sexy about that at all and as this conversation was happening i realized that almost every small stone i've been buying within the past couple years they are being shipped to me in 
flat rate shipping boxes through the postal service. And I just had this little epiphany that, oh, wait, those boxes are, it's like $15 to ship and the weight limit is 70 pounds. Right. And uh, a small stone's only between 20, 23 pounds, depending on the size. And I just thought, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to do it because I'm buying, I'm buying stones and people are mailing them to me. So why don't I just mail them back out? Why not? And so I had the idea on the Friday. I spent Saturday and Sunday grinding stones, the first four stones, reached out to the first four artists, Ali Norman, Todd Herzberg, Ash Armenta, and Craig Zamaiello. Reached out to the four of them, said, guys, I've got this kind of insane idea. Are you willing to be my guinea pigs for it? Of course, they all said yes. Who would say no? Who in their right mind would say no <laughs> to getting a stone mailed to them? Um, and so I did just like the logistics Monday through Thursday, and then I mailed out the first the first batch of stones. Yeah, I'd love to hear you talk um, perhaps a little bit more about that kind of connection between the community that you built and the genesis of Mixed Grid in the sense that that's like, you know, had you met any of these four artists before or did you just have this sort of online relationship with them that uh, that you'd built over the past few years that allowed you to reach out to them and to be known and, uh, you know, already excited to collaborate? So within the, the round one of Mixed Grit, I knew two of them from when I was a New Yorker and I'm still a New Yorker at heart. But when I was a New Yorker, good friends with Craig Zamaiello and Ash Armenta, I knew personally through uh, Tamarind Connection. But Ali Norman and Todd Herzberg, I've never met before. I had never had a phone call with them, never even a text message. Uh, but they're just artists whose work I know, work mm-hmm. I admire. And we've maybe might have corresponded through, you know, a like or a share or, you know, something, some kind of correspondence on Instagram, but not much else. I will say to this day, so, you know, round one was already months ago. I've still never spoken to Todd. (laughs) (laughs) Every time we tried to get on the phone, you know, it just wouldn't happen. And so Todd went through all of round one of mixed grit and had to like was part of this and we we were you know like we were messaging emailing but like we we were leaving voicemails for each other we just couldn't even get each other on the phone but we've been able to build that relationship same with Allie Norman you know I'd never met her but I really admire all of her work her work ethic her dedication her talents her skill mm-hmm. everything she's doing within the community and I know she was on the Pine Copper Line podcast a few months yeah. ago. So for everyone who's listening to this one, if you haven't listened to Allie's, go back about two months and listen to Allie Norman. Yeah, that one's really um, fun. Real witchy. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. And so now most of the artists and printers, they, they are people I know in some aspects. Mm-hmm. I haven't met all of them in person. Um, so like for round two right now, you know, Ronaldo Gil Zambrano, he is in Spokane, Washington. I've never been to the Pacific Northwest, so, you know, never met him. And I think it's it's been really nice to, as, as I'm curating these small groups of artists who 
I know of, who I follow, who I respect and admire, realizing that they might not know of each other. Mm-hmm. And whose whose work, whose personality might all come together as a really intimate and exquisite set of just four prints. Mm. And then letting them build their own relationships and get to know one another. And it's been a nice little bridge um, between these small little communities of of printers, and I've I've really enjoyed that kind of been being a facilitator, almost like a a, a printmaking matchmaker. Yeah, and within these rounds has been very enjoyable. Yeah, that's so interesting. I hadn't even thought about that element of it before, but of course, you're right because you know as you're you're acting as printer and facilitator, but also curator and matchmaker and then all you know all of these people he say might not know each other they are going to be connected now forever they're going to be like right Ronaldo I was in that exchange with him where that guy mailed me a litho stone you know (laughs) (laughs) yeah and so it's also just such a beautiful way to take our digital relationships into uh like into real life you know taking it to the next level because that actually that kind of physicality of interacting with the stone with the mail and then seeing it appear again in the digital realm back in your studio that um is such a beautiful way to solidify that uh that bridge building i think there that digital presence so what a it's such a great project it's 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 such a fun project, and this right here, like the conversation you and I are having right now, like you live on another continent. Yeah, you live true. literally. <laughs> it's it's four something in the afternoon here. It's eight in the morning for you. We've never met at a conference, mm-hmm. but we're part of this global community, and are able to now interact and have a conversation and build this relationship and. Yeah. I'm hoping I'm hoping that in the end, Mixed Grit's plan is three years. I'm gonna do this for three years and see what happens. So Okay. Um, see what happens after three years and then and you know, see where my see where my savings account is at. Right. Um, but what I'm really hoping is maybe maybe at the end of that, when I'm done with Mixed Grit, can it turn into Fight Club? Can mixed grit no longer be my project? Mm-hmm. Could could there be a printer who is based out of New Hampshire who has four small stones? Yeah, and they want they want to organize a round of mixed grit and they want to take on the responsibility. Could there be somebody in Portland who owns four small stones and wants to organize their own round? So. Yeah, this is this is like the the ridiculous pipe dream at no, the end I of all of it. this. No, I love it. It is like can 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 printmaking and mixed grit turn into Fight Club and little 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 print trades could be happening everywhere because there's there's so many awesome artists out there and I'm only doing four artists every three months and so 36 artists over the course of three years. Like think of how many people. I have to exclude from participating. Mm. And the only way I can get those artists in is if we fight club this thing and other <laughs> pop-up mixed grit branches happen. Yeah. And yeah. it's surprisingly affordable to do because it's only $15 
to mail a 25 pound rock. So mm-hmm. it was like, okay, so that's, that said, like US Postal Service, if any of you are listening, please don't raise the rates <laughs> on flat rate shipping. And they're uh, like, people keep mailing rocks with this. We got to do something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> When I shipped the stone to Jesse Hardesty, and she's in Baltimore, so Jesse's on round two. Jesse told me that like she was there on the porch, and the mailman came up holding this box, and actually said to her, "What is this? Is this a box of rocks?" <laughs> and she laughed at him and just said, "No, just one." I love it, and I love that idea. Like I like I that idea of it's a fight club, but it also. Um... Reminds me a little bit like it's a bit also like the Dread Pirate Roberts as well, you know, from uh, the Princess Bride. Oh, any, anyone, you know? could, anyone could be the Dread Pirate Roberts. Exactly. Anyone can be mixed grit. And yeah. And so it's in, in that way, again, it goes back to this like that like decentralization, right, where it's not like there's this small group that has like all of that access. But it, it it's, you know, it's like there's right now mixed grit you know, Tyler Durden, Dread Pirate Roberts, like right now that's in Denver. But as you say, you know, in a couple years time that could move to Portland and just continue to to grow that that community and those connections and finding ways to take the wonderful community that we have through Instagram and then really bringing it into like a tangible experience is is such a, a, a great project to undertake. Well, I will say, I need to say a quick thank you because this might be the only time in my life someone will, within one sentence, compare me to either Ed Norton or Brad Pitt. (laughs) So that's amazing. Thank you. You you know, it is well-deserved. You have been putting in so much work (laughs) and being so great about, yeah, sharing, sharing everything. Because you're so you've got mixed grit, but then on top of that, you also you work at Art Gym um, and do the the printmaking side of things there. Is that correct? I, I I was hired to design and build the printmaking studio. Gotcha. So when they hired me, they had three presses that they acquired from another printer who was retiring. You know, they basically pulled a, a truck up to his garage and just. Yeah, put everything in the truck, moved it to our gym. (laughs) But that was it. There was nothing else. And so they hired me to actually design, build, and outfit this printmaking studio within Art Gym. And so Art Gym, it's an open space for visual artists. So it's it's membership-based. There's a, a monthly dues, very affordable. But we provide affordable access to specialized equipment for visual artists Mm -hmm. and the biggest thing we have is the printmaking studio it's about 2,000 2,500 square feet for printmaking there's metal smithing and lapidary we do have a painting and drawing room there's a small digital lab Uh, we have a mixed media kind of like a a physical maker space we have a gallery we have a cafe there's a actually a ballet performance room. On top of all of that absurdness, we also have a commissary kitchen. So all of the food that we sell in our cafe is made by chefs in our commissary kitchen who are all uh, licensed businesses 
but we just think of them as culinary artists. Yeah. And so at the moment we have uh, pierogi makers. There's a chocolate maker. So someone who actually makes bean to bar chocolate in the building. There's someone who makes potato chips from scratch in the building. One or two private chefs. There's a vegan food truck who preps her food out of the kitchen. So on any given day, you know, if, if you're not smelling lithotine coming from me in the litho studio or burning cuttlefish coming from the metalsmith department <laughs> you might you're, you're going to smell chocolate being made or some other ridiculous deliciousness happening and so you so you've got you've got the print shop there you've got the art gallery is this because i know that you also you curate a national call for prints is that correct is that is does that happen through art gym yep that happens through art gym so i was able to convince the gallery curator to give me a print show it was it was annual for three years and we took a year off and uh, now we've got another national call for entry open right now that'll be on display in march and we call the exhibit impressed you know all printmakers come up with very very <laughs> uh -huh. self-referential witty titles yeah. for their shows and this is one of the joys of art gym is that we are privately owned and we can make decisions without answering to a board or to donors yeah. and we can kind of do whatever we want and what makes our call for entry different than the standard is we looked at the standard and we know what those standards are and we said fuck you fuck your standards <laughs> so the industry standard right now for some reason for no reason at all you know, an application is either $30, $35, $40 mm -hmm. um, to apply into a call for entry. Well, ours is $25. So mm -hmm. we're going to reduce that, reduce the barrier to entry. Most every show out there will say return shipping is, if you get accepted, return shipping of your artwork is the responsibility of the artist. Yeah. And you have to include a prepaid return shipping label in the artwork when you're sending it to us. Right. And well, nope, we're not going to do that. We're going to send the artwork back to you. We'll pay for that. So we're going to reduce the barrier for entry financially again. Mm -hmm. And then everyone says artwork must be framed in order for it to hung. Nope. You don't have to frame it. You know, we can do a magnet system. We have ways to do it. Yeah. So you can't you can't afford to put your work in the frame and then ship a, a 10 pound frame across the country. Great. Don't roll it up, send it in the tube. And again, Archim can reduce the barrier for entry in multiple ways. If you, mm -hmm. if you want to change the system, you have to be part of it and change it within. And we're hoping other galleries and other institutions can maybe maybe start to rethink how they make these decisions. And I get a little passionate about this topic because I think what's happened is too many galleries or organizations or institutions are using a call for entry as a revenue stream to make up for the loss of revenue streams because the art market isn't as strong as it needs to be or now that community isn't buying artwork the way they should within that local community. And so galleries, hey, you know, if, if you can find a revenue stream 
and stay open and not need to close your doors. You know, you, you have to do what you have to do as, right. a, as a business. Yeah. But let's say let's say 200 artists apply to a call, and let's say that call is $35. Well, that gallery is going to bring in seven grand mm-hmm. just from those fees. Maybe a thousand of that max is going to go towards whatever institution you're using to digitally host the call. And there are a few out there, you know, but you have to pay your administrative fees. But now out of those 200, let's say you choose 25 artists of the $6,000 left over 87% of that money came from artists you chose to not exhibit. And that's where I get angry is that your revenue stream came from the people you rejected. Yeah. yeah and yeah. that gets me angry, right? You know, the, this overwhelming amount of money, this large sum of money you're claiming to do things with, well, you took it from people you're not representing. And then on top of that, see, I told you I get like passionate yeah, about this. On, to- <laughs> on top of that, right? So now, you how often do you see calls that say, artist is responsible for shipping but you're not allowed to ship it to us using like packing peanuts or all these other things. Uh-huh. It's like, well, fuck you. If you're going to tell me <laughs> how to ship my artwork, I'm going to package it however damn well I please. And then they're going to say, well, your artwork's not on our premises. We're not liable. And then on top of that, <laughs> let's say there's 25 artists in this exhibit. How many of those individual pieces of artists and artworks will that gallery or institution be highlighting through social media and publicity? Maybe three or four, yeah. maybe three or four. Yeah. But I guarantee you 20, if not all 25 of those artists are going to be promoting you as a gallery through social media. And the gallery just isn't doing what it needs to. And I think a lot of this is gal- galleries are still learning how to adjust to a social media age. I'm, I'm old enough. I remember mailing physical slides to galleries and you'd send a, a self-addressed stamp envelope so they can mail the slides back to you. And, you know, if you got into a show, you'd, they'd make postcards and they'd make brochures. And that was their way of trying to promote and sell. And galleries are getting further and further away from the physical realm of promoting artwork, but then they're not doing enough digitally. And all, all of this to me is wrapped up in this whole call for entry. So anyway, <laughs> to get back to get back to Impressed, yes, we do a national call yeah. for entry. It's affordable. Uh, we, we pay return shipping. You don't have to send it to us framed. Um, I think the show is about three and a half weeks. It's going to be up during um, Denver has a biennial event called Month of Printmaking. And Mm. that will be in March where basically many of the Denver galleries and art institutions are doing printmaking based events, artist talks, demonstrations, workshops, exhibits. So ours is tied directly to to that. And if anyone's ever heard of like Print Austin in Austin, Uh Texas, think of it as a biennial, smaller, less organized (laughs) uh, Print Austin. I mean, we've it's a very small group of volunteers 
this is our first, fourth biennial event, so you know, still building traction. Yeah. Um, but it's it's all it's all coming together as a, a nice local community, and with what I'm trying to do with Impressed. So I juried the first one. I co-juried the second Impressed with Brandon Gunn, who's the oh, education yeah, yeah. director at the Tamarind Institute. Yeah. Oh. So Brandon and I were at. Tamron together. We went through the printer training program together 12, 12 years ago, and we've stayed good friends since. Oh, he's so great. Yeah. And we, we've stayed with this. Is, he's the best, but this is how good of a friend we've become. Two years ago, he asked me to come down to Tamarind at the end of the year just to talk to the, the first year students about what it feels like to get rejected. <laughs> from the second year program uh-huh. and i was like so wait brandon you mean you want you and i to sit at the same table and you're going to represent the person who got accepted and moved on to the second year and you want me to talk about the pain and rejection <laughs> of being rejected as you're sitting right next to me smiling <laughs> and he says yeah that's exactly what i want i was like okay that sounds fun i love it that is a very good friend who would invite you to be in that situation. Um, (laughs) Our dear friend, Brandon. Hello, Brandon. Um, (laughs) But so you, you did go to Tamarind um, and you were there for the first year, as you mentioned, but it wasn't, it wasn't exactly a a straight road there. If I recall, would you, would you mind sharing your, your Tamarind legacy with us a little bit? Of course. And again, thanks for bringing up old painful wounds here. (laughs) It's just Um, your theme. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yes. So I did. It's one of my fun, fun stories, part of my history. So I I was right senior at Syracuse. I'm falling in love with Litho. Of course, you find out about the Tamarind Institute. So I applied for their summer workshop and the printer training program. And this would have been you know, like spring 2002, maybe. Um, and, you know, I thought I had the right recommendations. I thought I had the right skill. I thought I was right what they exactly what they were looking for as a candidate for either, either program. And at some point I get I go down to the mailbox and there are two envelopes from Tamarind mm-hmm. and I open up one of them and it's uh, dear, dear you, we regret to inform you. Mm-hmm. We don't, we don't, we don't want you. Yeah. Sorry. Obviously more friendly, but that's how I remember it. And it was for the, the summer workshop and I open up the other identical letter and it's the same letter rejecting me from the printer trading program. Mm-hmm. And they were dated the same day. And I remember getting almost like euphorically happy about the humor (laughs) that someone typed up two rejection letters, two different things for the same person on the same day. (laughs) And then, you know, stuffed two different envelopes, licked two different stamps (laughs) and mailed them out. And I remember thinking like, oh, what a waste of 30 cents for a stamp. (laughs) Yeah. But it, but it was, it was, it was a gut punch. You know, I'd understand being rejected from the printer training program, but then in the, in the same day to also be told like, nope, you, we don't even want you for the summer workshop. 
I was like, oh man, I, I, I was questioning who I was as a, a young printmaker and artist and technician. And, you know, I filed it away. You know, I think I still have the letters somewhere. They're just like too, mm. too humorous to throw mm-hmm. out. I think I have them. I think they're in my mom's basement somewhere back in New York. And then I think I, you know, maybe three or four years passed. I went and got my master's degree at NYU. I was working as a book conservator at NYU at the time. And I just thought one day, yeah, I'm, I'm going to give it another shot. I'm going to, I'm going to try again, but not, not the summer workshop. I'm just going to go for the, mm-hmm. the training program. And I completely retooled my essay, my application essay. I think that made all the difference in mm. the world. Obviously, in hindsight, what my motivations and my driving force and what my long, short-term and long-term goals were as an artist and printer while finishing up my undergrad had morphed and changed yeah. and uh, grown in those three, three to four years. I think that definitely helped. I do think also what really helped was all new references, uh-huh. different different people as my references. And I still think this is probably the greatest reference letter ever. So I'm good friends with Dan Weldon, who most printmakers know from Solar Plate. Um, Dan Weldon travels the world, teaches Solar Plate workshops and demonstrations. I've known him since college, and he's a friend of the family, and I asked him to write a, a reference, and I, I watched him do it. He hmm. took an 8 by 11 piece of paper, took out a Sharpie, and just wrote <laughs> at, like, this big, you know, sweeping angle across the page, like, Dear Marge, you guys should give Greg a shot. I think he's just what you need. Dan, P.S. Am I going to see you at the conference or whatever? And he wrote more in like a P.S. about his personal reference, like his personal relationship, than he did his reference letter. And like to this day, I swear that that's what did it. That that's it. Well, I'm sure that, it made you stand out. Just, just that. Yeah. A, per- a personal touch. Yeah. Yeah. So it took it took two tries. Yeah. Well, if, like, if we count three tries, right? Two rejections, and then a third attempt to, to get into Tamarind's and then they rejected me again when I applied for the, the second year mm-hmm. uh, professional year, got that rejection. Um, yeah. And of course, Brandon Gunn got it. And now he's teaching there. So yeah, love you, Brandon. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I think that like, that is such a part of being in the art world is basically saying, I want to experience rejection for the rest of my life. Like that is like part of it, right? Is it because I think if you know, if you just like, go and you get your job, you know, you, 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 you apply to some colleges when you're 18, you get some rejections from them, that doesn't feel good, you get into one, you go study electrical engineering, you apply for a handful of jobs, get some rejections, get into one. And then you work it for 40 years and then you retire. Like you like, Mm -hmm. that's like it. Like you just have a couple of scenarios where you're getting the like, I don't want you letter or email or whatever it is. But when you're in the arts, you were just like, yeah, give me that pain forever. Like that's like, I want it. (laughs) You you have to, you have to want it. Because if you let it beat you down, if you, if you let it, crush your soul and if you let it defeat you 
It will do that so easily mm. and it will do it with glee and joy. And it's not even aware it's doing it. Like yeah. the, the art world, right? Whatever that is as a, an abstract statement, like the art world will beat you down to a pulp and push you out the door with a smile on its face if you don't take rejection and see the positives in that and see that you can still build relationships and you can still find opportunities through rejection. Mm -hmm. If you focus it on, oh, they don't like me, they don't want me, they don't like my work, they don't want my work, they, I'm not good enough. If that's where your mindset goes, you're going to have a, a, a tough uphill battle forever. Yeah. Um, so for me, it was like, yeah, find the humor that someone wasted 30 cents on a stamp <laughs> and another eight cent envelope and hold on to them. Save those letters. Put yeah. them in the basement. Let that be a, a driving force and find the joy and the humor in that. And, you know, it becomes a fun story you can tell on a podcast 12 years later. Mm hmm. I love that. I think that is a beautiful place to wrap up with some very sage advice about surviving in the art world. So I would love it if you could just tell people where they can follow you and find you on Instagram. I know we talked a lot about that in this episode, so make sure that people um, can get in on all that beautiful sharing of triumphs and failures and all of the things that are happening. All right. So on Instagram, if you want to, if you only are interested in following Mixed Grit and the technical side of that printmaking project, it is just Mixed Grit on Instagram. Um, nice and simple. If you want my personal account, um, it's NYC GPS. Pretty much only printmaking and my dog. Yes. I don't really do. Yes. I mean, what else more do you want? Out That's of all media? I ever Just... want to see on social media. Yeah. <laughs> Beautiful. Yep. So oh, find, find me on both. You know, I'd love to connect to all new people. And if anyone who has technical issues or problems or questions or jokes or comments, criticisms, send them my way. And let's, let's keep that discussion going. I love it. Ah, well, thank you so much for joining me. This has been so great to talk about all of these connections um, and get to know you a little bit better, IRL, um, as the kids say. And um, yeah, I can't wait to share this chat with everyone and share the link to um, Impressed, Call for Entries, and um, just keep the, the dialogue and community going. So thank you. Well, Thank you for having me and thank you for being who you are in the community. I, I, I love the podcast and I hope it I hope it outlives all of us. <laughs> See if I can be my own dread pirate Roberts at some point. Well, that's our show for this week. Join me again in two weeks' time when my guest will be Steve Campbell of Landfall Press. That's right, the Steve Campbell of the Landfall Press. Steve has worked at Landfall for over three decades and printed with the greats, from Christos to Kara Walker. And he talks about printmaking with incredible insight and affection. I don't want to oversell this one to you, but it might be the single greatest recorded conversation in the history of the world. So join me in two weeks, won't you? <laughs> <laughs>